9-11 really, really shook me. And it's, it's, it's still, um, it still gets me to this day, uh, you know, thinking about the emotional impact of it. And, and I just, I, I knew I had to do something. And the, the closest thing, uh, the most tangible thing that, that I could do was, was join the special forces unit and try to, and try to do something about it. Right. You know, a bit of, uh, a bit of that punisher, um, mentality. And, um, and that's what I did. Uh, so I went to that unit. I'm like, look, man, you know, what do I need to do to, 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 to get in on this, um, you know, serve my country uh, to a different degree. And, uh, and that be that, that protector or that, that fighter, uh, that warrior um, was, was always a, a part of me. Hi, my name is Scott Schweitzer and I am the Clydesdale. My friends, Amy Radowski, Charlie Yodi, Kat Shear, love fitness as a sport as much as I do. We are all 40 plus master's age athletes who give all we have to lead a healthy, active life. We also want to bring you athlete interviews, human interest stories, and all the news surrounding the sport of fitness. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a five-star rating and writing a review. We are also available with full video on YouTube at the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends Podcast as well as all traditional podcast platforms. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Clydesdale underscore fitness and friends. And now off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale fitness and friends podcast. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. I wanted to remind you of our Road to 1,000 Subscribers giveaway that we have going on our YouTube channel. If you subscribe and have a public profile, you'll be entered to win a free RX Smart Gear original jump rope. You'll get to pick the pattern of the handles, the color and weight of the cable, and you'll be getting one of the best-selling, best-performing jump ropes out there. Every time we hit a new century mark with the number of subscribers to our channel, we'll randomly select a new winner. And our friend Dave Newman is going to throw in a little something extra for each winner. So a special thanks to our sponsor, RX Smart Gear, to Dave Newman for being such a great partner, and to you for being a loyal listener. Good luck, and I hope you are our next winner. We're going to take a short break from our interview to tell you about our newest sponsor, Up Before You Coffee. They are an amazing coffee. It is delicious, has different little notes of chocolate and things like that. Um, and it's really clean and crisp uh, when you drink it in the morning. Uh, but they have a light roast. Uh, they also have a medium roast, as you can see there. Um, we are so excited about the sponsor sponsorship. Uh, if you use Clydesdale 20, all caps, Clydesdale 20, you can get 20% off your order. Just go to upbeforeyou.com and uh, order your coffee. It's delicious. You'll love it. All right. Well, so welcome, Sean. We're glad to have you um, on here today. Thank you. So um, just to start, though, your title is your Master Sergeant. Um, uh, yep. Yep. U.S. Army retired. That's right. US, okay. U.S. Army retired. Um, Special Forces, Green Beret. 
Yep. Mm -hmm. And a wounded warrior. That's correct. All yeah. right. Um, so before we get into to the story, I wanted to kind of go to your background and, and kind of find out what was your athletic background growing up, um, you know, maybe high school, pre-high school, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm one of those cases where uh, always athletic, never an athlete. Um, I think I dabbled in just about every sport uh, from, you know, little league baseball to uh, you know, wrestling and track and football and things like that was never good at anything really. I, I just enjoyed uh, kind of getting out and, and trying out new stuff. Uh, but if I were to identify with a couple sports in school, it was probably uh, cross country track. Uh, I was a bit of a long, slow distance guy, you know, as a, as a, as a you know, middle school, high school kid. Uh, I really didn't get into the kind of explosive functional fitness until years later uh, in, in the military. Yeah. And then, so after high school, you started at Ohio State. Is that right? Uh, attempted. Uh, right, attempted. right. Yeah. And then I think you, I've heard you say that you enjoyed some of the social aspects of school and not so much on the schooling aspects of that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, a longer interview would capture the theme of irresponsibility in my youth. But uh, uh, yeah, no, I definitely uh, was one uh, to entertain and be entertained. Uh, as a, as a youth, as a struggling youth. Uh, and then Ohio State campus in the, you know, mid nineties, uh, you know, captured that uh, to a T. Um, you know, first bar I ever snuck into was on campus at Papa Joe's, you know, you know first uh, time I used a, you know, a fake ID was on Ohio State campus. I mean, the, the list goes on and on, but uh, you know, that, that um, that irresponsibility really is what is what led me uh, in, into the military at at, uh, at a certain point. Well, Sean, okay. I can I can truly identify with the irresponsibility. Uh, the first <laughs> bar I snuck into was on was the Thirsty Eye on Lane Avenue, uh, right. and Ohio State was rocking in the late '80s as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Totally. Um, and so then at 19, that's when you entered the Army. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so I graduated from high school in 1991, 18, kind of bounced around, moved around. And uh, you know, after a couple of years of, of really not making any progress and uh, really spiraling down into this um, hole of irresponsibility again, um, you know, I was that uh, recruit that was really the old school, join the army or go to jail kind of thing. And uh, um, you know, I, I, I did it completely on my own. Uh, you know, I was at a point in my life at, at the age of 19 uh, and, and, and 20 years old. 20 is, was really when I, when I joined. 19 is when I started to research it. Uh, you know, it was either kind of give up on, on living on my own and, and move back home with mom kind of deal or, uh, or explore other options and, and try to be responsible. And probably the, the most responsible decision I ever made, particularly at that age, was uh, talking to the recruiter, signing the contract and going to basic training. Uh, and that, was, that would have been 1994 uh, when all of that happened. How's your mom feel about that? It was a big surprise to everybody. Uh, you know, everybody knew I was a bit of a wild child, you know, from the age of, you know, in, in my teenage years. And then uh, 
I didn't tell anybody about it. I, you know, I did all the research myself and, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, uh, I just broke the news to mom first. Uh, you know, she was, she was proud and nervous and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, uh, you know, obviously had, had her blessing. And the fact that I, that I did that was uh, kind of a, a tip of the hat to, to being more responsible. So, um, and then, yeah, just lots of family support uh, from that point forward. It feels like a very mature decision for for a nineteen year old who you self described as being irresponsible. So, yeah, and you know, you know, I'm labeling it as responsible, but uh, you know, in essence, it's probably was my only choice. Right. So, uh, you know, truth be told, it was probably really the only thing I could do other than just kind of really give up and just and just go back home or whatever. But. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to be this grown up, but at the same time, I was just getting mixed up into, you know, the social scene. Yeah. Was it was it easy to choose Army over the other branches, or was that the only recruiter around? Or how uh, you know, I, I I had all of the stereotypes. You know, um, I knew the Army had the National Guard, uh, and, and I knew that. Uh, if I went active duty, then I could come back home and be in the National Guard. And I knew that the, uh, the GI Bill was very friendly. I, I knew that the Ohio National Guard had tuition assistance. And, and really the driving force behind everything was just, how am I gonna pay for school? Uh, you know, if, and, if and when I'm able to get back uh, in good graces with the, you know, the academia. And, um, and I, I knew the Army had a lot of opportunities. Uh, I knew my uncle was in the Army. You know, both of my grandfathers were World War II veterans in the Army. So, you know, not that I have any kind of real lineage, uh, you know, to military service. Uh, I think that was the, the closest to my heart uh, at the time. And so then you did use that, um, took advantage of the GI Bill and yep. went back to school. Um, so what, where did you go? What did you study? What's, what's uh, that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was able to uh, ultimately get a graduate degree, master's degree, uh, completely you know, paid for by Uncle Sam and, uh, and, and you know, my service, obviously. But uh, uh, yeah, I started out, I was a computer science guy. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was in the information technology uh, arena, you know, before the whole Y2K stuff, you know, back in the day of, you know, Windows 95 and 98 and home networking and, and then uh, the Wi-Fi boom and the Y2K boom. I was, I was, I was in that um, workspace in the, uh, in the late 90s and the, in the early 2000s. Uh, and then uh, a bit of a, a bit of a switch uh, happened, uh, which was September 11th, uh, 2001. Uh, and then that, event really changed the whole trajectory of, of my military career and my personal career and, and really what I wanted to do. So I was a bit of a computer nerd. Um, you know, I was the help desk guy that you would call and I would come fix your printer or, or you know, uh, you know, re-network, remap your drives or whatever, uh, and was educated and, and experienced in that. And then, uh, then all that changed uh, September 11th, uh, 2001. And that kind of um, that event yeah. <laughs> um, kind of in, brought you into the special operations. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Right? So I had done, I had completed my active duty tour, uh, three or four years of, of active duty uh, out in Oklahoma. I was an artillery guy, you know, launching rockets and stuff like that. Um, and finished that 
contract, uh, got out, got off of active duty, moved back home, went back to school, started back to school slow at Columbus State and uh, using the GI Bill with that, joined the Ohio National Guard. And uh, when I was in the Guard, I was back into that information systems space. Uh, that, was my, that was my job in the Army at, at that time, late 90s. Uh, but yeah, I was a conventional Army National Guard dude, and uh, but I was still very active in the fact of uh, like like the athletic side. So I was on the Ohio National Guard's biathlon team, uh, where you're cross country skiing and shooting. Uh, I was on the National Guard biathlon team for a couple of years, uh, 1999 and 2000. Um, and on that team was a Green Beret. And he was a captain. And uh, we did a couple biathlon events in, uh, in Vermont and Wisconsin and, and uh, in Montana and stuff. And, and uh, we're competing in these biathlon events. And I'm kind of hanging out with this Green Beret dude. I'm like, man, this guy's pretty cool. You know, he's fit. You know, he's telling me all these cool stories. I'm like, you know, that, that would be kind of cool if I ever decided to do that. So again, this is all pre 9-11, pre-2001. So at that point, I knew that the Ohio National Guard had a special forces unit in Columbus. Uh, so the seed had been planted. This would have been 99, 2000. And then uh, uh, kind of hanging out with this guy on the biathlon team. Well, fast forward to 2000, uh, fast forward to the summer of 2001. Okay, this is still pre-9-11. Pre we're doing some summer biathlon training. So now I'm running and shooting and we have all these kind of cool events uh, that, that I'm a part of with, with the Ohio National Guard. So I decide, uh, hey, I'm bored being a uh, computer guy, at least in the National Guard. And I'm, I think I'm gonna give this special forces thing a shot. So I started training with these special forces guys in the summer of 2001, just kind of weekend drills kind of deal. And, uh, and that was pretty cool. Met a lot of cool guys. We're, we're all rowdy, but we, you know, we like to work hard, play hard kind of thing. Uh, that's definitely the, uh, uh, the type of person that, that seeks out this type of an occupation, right? Work hard, play hard. And, uh, and then in, this, in September of 2001, when those towers fell, really everything was in place for me to make the decision to go special forces, uh, special ops, you know, uh, watching those towers fall and being in the military, but really not being uber patriotic, right? I'm just kind of in the military as a, as a part-time job and, and as uh, college support. 9-11 um, really, really shook me. And it's, it's, it's still, um, it still gets me to this day, uh, you know, thinking about the emotional impact of it, and, and I just, I, I knew I had to do something. And the, the closest thing, uh, the most tangible thing that, that I could do was, was join the special forces unit and try, to, and try to do something about it, right? You know, a bit of, uh, a bit of that punisher um, mentality. And, um, and that's what I did. Uh, so I went to that unit, I'm like, look, man, you know, what do I need to do to, to, to get in on this, um, you know, serve my country uh, to a different degree. And, uh, and that be that, that protector or that, that fighter, uh, that warrior um, was, was always a, a part of me. 
and it just really um, everything fell into place. So September 11th, 2001, obviously the world changed. And then uh, next thing I know, a couple months later in January of 2002, I'm down at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, and it's freezing ass cold. And I got 70 pounds of stuff in a back, you know, rucksack, and I'm figuring out how to navigate through the woods for three weeks, you know, and, and, and that was selection. That was uh, Special Forces selection in a nutshell. Uh, and it's, it's the first phase of many uh, to earning the, the Green Beret. Uh, and then I, I, I made it. Uh, I, I graduated and uh, was offered the opportunity to continue to train through the entire Special Forces qualification course uh, from, from that point forward. Hey, Sean. Sean, I have a question. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. Um, so we talked about your mom being supportive of you, you know, going in initially, um, certainly after 9-11, you know, and the whole world changed and when people were going into the military, it meant something very different um, yeah. at that point in time. And you said that you, you know, you were definitely moved to do that. The first part of the question, did you have any personal uh, like ties to people that were victims and B, how did your mom react to you sort of taking that next step or your family? So no personal ties um, other than, you know, first and second degree connections to those in the Pentagon uh, that were working in, in the Pentagon when, when the Pentagon was hit also. Um, uh, no, nobody in, uh, in New York City uh, that I knew personally, um, you know, the, the flights in Pennsylvania and stuff like that, you know, no, no direct connections to any of that other than uh, direct connections to other military personnel that, that were working in and around the Pentagon. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, going back to mom, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you know if, if you don't know much about me, I'm a, I'm a passionate, emotional guy too. So, you know, I, it's just my excuse to, to be a big crybaby. But uh, um, so, Again, you know, moms are moms. You know, they're 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 worried, uh, they're they're loving, they're supportive, and uh, and and proud. Uh, so she was very, you know, sending me her prayers and be safe, be smart. Sean was is always her advice. You know, be be safe and be and be smart. And uh, again, I think it was, um, you know, my calling to to do that. Uh, you know. She, she felt that and was supportive, obviously, as well. But, uh, you know, there's always a bit of fear you know, with all of that. And, and then, you know, when, as we progress through this interview and we start to talk about my wife and, and, uh, and what she thought about during deployments and things, um, you know, there's just always that, always that concern um, from, from your loved ones. So I have, a, I have a quick question, Sean. You know, in the CrossFit world, we know a lot about the Navy SEALs because a lot of the leaders in CrossFit come from, from that endeavor. Yep. Did, did the Green Beret, do they have like a hell week or something that you have to go through just like the Navy SEALs? What was that training like uh, yep. to get in there? Uh, so, yeah, so much the same, not as publicized, obviously, you know, we kind of, we have our interdepartmental rivalries, you know, between Navy SEALs and some of the other uh, special operations units, but uh um, you know, where, where you envision the Navy SEALs, you know, with the big log on their shoulders and, and uh, you know, they're on the beach and, and they're, you know, they're getting their asses kicked, but they're working together. Um, you know, we have much, much the same thing. Uh, ours is always much more woodland based than, uh, you know, beach, beach based. But uh, 
that would have been that January selection that I was that I was talking about. It's it's three weeks. Um, it's divided into uh, you know a lot of land navigation, a lot of being on your own. Um, you know, it's very much a uh, it's very much an individual. How's this guy going to handle stresses and decision making on his own? Uh, be and being responsible about it. That that's of the three weeks. That's a couple weeks worth of uh, um, you know very individually assessed uh, you know physical um, feats uh, that happen. But there is a bit of a hell week, and that's what they call team week. And during team week, which is which is a few days towards the end, um, you know a lot of guys have been weeded out, right? A lot of guys have been weeded out over the past two or three weeks, you know, because you're you know, you're sent off on these, you know, 50, 100, 150 mile treks where you're, you're, you know, you're navigating over terrain over the course of four to five days and you're on your own and you're trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B and really just kind of survive. Um, but then Hell Week is just that kind of that buds or that Navy SEALs thing that, that you'll see. And, and they put us in sand pits and we've got big logs and we're working together and we're carrying heavy things, we're moving heavy objects. And it's just, it's just hours and hours and days of, uh, of them telling you, you know, how, how big of a, a shit bag you are, you know, to try to try to knock you down and, and just kind of get into your, into your head, you know, and, and, and see where that breaking point is. Uh, but that would be special forces selection uh, in comparison to, let's say Navy SEALs, uh, you know, their, their buds or their hell week. So then at what point, when, when does Sarah come into to this part of the story? When... Yep. So she is a post 9-11 story. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, summer of 2001. Again, was pretty rowdy, even though I, even though I was, uh, you know, much more responsible and, and, uh, and had a job and, and, uh, and education and all that kind of stuff. Um, I met Sarah in October of 2001, uh, about a month after 9-11. Um, I was hanging out at a bar with a buddy of mine on Bethel Road uh, in Dublin. It was called the On Tap. Yep, I know exactly which bar. <laughs> I don't even know if it's there anymore. If it is, <laughs> if it is, we should all go there at some point. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> It was like a Wednesday night, uh, it's, you know, free popcorn kind of night, you know, and, and uh, I'm hanging out, just me and my buddy, and we're looking at some pictures from a Labor Day weekend uh, uh, event that, that we were all hanging out at. And, uh, and Sarah was at the end of the bar with one of her girlfriends. I'm hanging out with one of my buddies. Again, Wednesday night, no expectations, you know. And one beer led to another. And then, uh, you know, either she came over to me or I came over to her or whatever. And uh, we just ended up hanging out and drinking uh, that night. And then uh, from that point forward, um, we kind of kept in touch. You know, I was, you know, I was telling her that I was in the army. I'm getting ready to go down to Fort Bragg, blah, blah, blah. She didn't know anything about that uh, and probably didn't care. Right. Um, but we, we kept in touch. And then, uh, you know, as the, as the months went by and then I'm, I'm to and from training, you know, we're, we're writing letters, you know, I mean, like the old school, uh, you know, you're, you're away on a military training thing and, and you're writing letters to, yeah. to one another. And, 
again, a few months have, have gone by and, and, and I'm in the second or third phase of this special forces training. And the second phase of, of special forces training is very much like uh, army ranger school. If, if you're familiar with that, or have seen a documentary or something and it, it just totally sucks. You know, it's seven or eight weeks. And uh, again, it's just, it's just a big suck fest. Um, but you know, you're learning some stuff, you're learning some tactics, uh, but for the most part, you know, the instructors are trying to weed, weed you out and, and eliminate uh, any potential, um, uh, you know, weak point, you know, moving forward, particularly in the spring of 2002, because we're full on rolling into Afghanistan, right? You know, we're hunting bin Laden and Al Qaeda and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so everybody that was in the special forces qualification course at that point and the instructors knew when we graduate, we're going to war. So it was super, super real. And, uh, and, and, you know, they were just smoke. It was just a smoke fest day after day after day. And I was at a breaking point at one point and, uh, it just, just the end of a day. And it was just, it was just the worst day ever. And, uh, and we're in the middle of the woods and we, we've done our patrols and, and our tactical training for the day. And, and our instructors are just killing time. And, and what do they make it, make us do? They make us dig holes. We're digging foxholes in the woods. And, uh, again, it's just a weed, weed people out. I'm really at my wits end and, uh, you know, not ready to quit, but man, it's starting to it started to inch up into my thought process. And then they did a, a random mail call. And in the middle of this horrible time for me personally, we, we all drop our shovels and we gather around the instructor and he pulls out the, this duffel bag full of mail. I mean, exactly like you would, you would envision, right? <laughs> he dumps out all these letters and he start, you know, he'd hold up a letter and he'd call a dude's name out and then he'd, he'd throw the letter and, and whatever. Well, I got a letter from Sarah and, uh, and, and I remember reading the letter and uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a great letter. I, st I still have all that stuff. But in the letter was a, uh, was a little tiny um, like taste tester of a, uh, like, like a mint, like a little spearmint kind of thing, right? And, uh, and I opened up the letter and this little tiny uh, sample uh, peppermint thing, uh, breath mint or whatever was in it. And, she, and, and on the letter she wrote, uh, you know, I, I hope this gives you a little bit more energy to get through your day or whatever. And so I pulled that out and I popped that thing in and it was like instant uh, Hercules strength. And it was at that point I knew, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna marry this girl. I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry this girl. And as, as, as soon as we got back and, and we were able to get on telephone, first person I called was my mom. I'm like, mom, this girl is it, you know, she's the one. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna marry this girl. And, uh, and then a few months later, yeah, uh, I asked her to marry me, and then uh, and then the adventure begins. Oh, what a great story! I love it. Yeah, that's cool. We're going to take a short break from our interview to tell you about our newest sponsor, Up Before You Coffee. They are an amazing coffee. It is delicious, has different little notes of chocolate and things like that. Um, and it's really clean and crisp uh, when you drink it in the morning. 
uh, but they have a light roast. Uh, they also have a medium roast, as you can see there. Um, we are so excited about this sponsor sponsorship. Uh, if you use Clydesdale 20, all caps, Clydesdale 20, you can get 20% off your order. Just go to upbeforeyou.com and uh, order your coffee. It's delicious. You'll love it. Um, all right. So let's, let's move to um, the event. Yeah. So you're in Southeast Afghanistan, and this yep. is Memorial Day of 2009. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. So it was a special operations mission, and yep. um, you were critically wounded while doing a raid on the Taliban compound. That's right. Mm -hmm. And the numbers that from I've got from your website was that you were shot five times, 30 yep. surgeries, 36 months in rehab, 21 awards, and zero regrets. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's a bit of a uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, numbers are pretty accurate. Um, you know, the shot five times thing, it, it, it's a it's a bit of a gray zone. Uh, I was probably hit six or seven times total uh, between, you know, helmet and, and body armor and, and rifle and, and things like that. Because I was but two of the rounds actually, actually impacted me. Actually, uh, actually made it through, and, and I was shot two by two two bullets. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, so yeah, we're fast forwarding to the spring of two thousand nine. Um, you know, we were ramping up on a mission for this this Taliban leader, and uh, we knew where the dude was going to be, and we, and we knew when he was going to be there. And, uh, and, and we rolled out to, to, to roll this dude up. And um, uh, it, it, was a, it was a pretty dynamic mission because uh, the difference between Army Green Berets and Navy SEALs is uh, you know, Green Berets, we work with the indigenous troops there. So uh, in Iraq, we worked with the Iraqi commandos. In, in Afghanistan, we work with the Afghan commandos. And, and uh, you know, we are part of a, uh, a force multiplier um, uh, mission where we're training these guys really to, to take care of their own business. You know, in, in essence, we're trying to work ourselves out of a job and make these guys uh, the uh, special special ops guys. So we enter this village. Um, our Afghan commando partners were, were already in there. There was already a, a bit of a struggle uh, with them trying to get into the village. Uh, we got there and, uh, and were able to do that final push into the village. So, so we entered the village and there it was already a, uh, um, there was already a, a light firefight, a, a little bit of pushback because um, it was a Taliban controlled uh, village. Uh, as soon as we got into the village um, and we dismounted and, and myself, along with two other uh, of my special forces guys are leading three tactical elements through this village. I'm leading one, two, two other guys are leading two other elements through the village looking for our target. Uh, we know he's in there. We don't know exactly which building he's in which which facility which structure so it's a, it's a small village maybe you know 20 25 small buildings huts and stuff and um 
we're able to search through two or three buildings. We don't, we don't find our guy. And uh, the, the, the last building that, that I decide to go into with my team uh, is the building where we ended up finding that the, the dude was in there. So, um, and, and it's, it's, it's hard to describe this over, over a video conference thing because I'm, I, I, you know, I, I wanna be able to explain kind of what's going on, but uh, so we're moving through this village and at this point it's, it, it's becoming a, a, a much more volatile and dynamic uh, firefight. So not only are we looking for our dude from, from structure to structure, uh, we're, we're using these structures as, as a means of cover uh, from, from the gunfire that's happening in the street. So I see the next building, I, I see the next door and I'm like, okay, we're, we're, this is where we're going. We're going to, to this particular building and, I, and I've got an interpreter with me who's, who's uh, I'm giving him commands to, to, to give to our tactical team, which is made up of, of primarily Afghan fighters. And I, I, I roll up to this door, uh, I, I give it a kick. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kicking this door as, as hard as I can and the door budges, but it doesn't quite give. Um, I know one more kick and we're, we're gonna roll into this building, okay? Now, normally, uh, now this is, a, this is a late afternoon raid. Uh, let me set the stage with, with why I kicked the door versus like sneaking in and blowing the door up and then rolling in. Um, this is a late afternoon raid. We know the guy's only in there for a short amount of time and we, and we need to roll out and get him. Normally we're, we're, we're doing the, you know, zero dark 30 thing where we're kind of sneaking into the village and, and, uh, and we're doing dynamic breaching and, and we're, we're, we're blowing down doors and we're throwing flashbangs and, and things like that to, uh, to add that element of surprise, which provides you a certain amount of control over, over your environment, that tactical environment. Well, we didn't have that, you know, we were already engaged in a firefight. Uh, so we're just moving fast and, and staying aggressive. So I kick the door once, it doesn't go. I, I kick the door a second time. Uh, when I kick the door the second time, the, the, the door gives way. I start to roll into this, uh, this structure and then I walk into a, uh, a wall of, of gunfire. Um, and what we found out was there were over 22 fighters in, in this one particular structure and, and, and they were rallied around this, uh, this high value target that we were after and they were protecting him. And the first person that was going to come through that door, they were going to light up, and uh, and that person had, happened to be me. So I kicked the door. Uh, I immediately started started taking rounds. I, I knew I was hit low. I, I felt a uh, I felt something hit low that in the left hip. Um, I, I could feel the uh, the rounds on the on the uh, on the body armor. Okay, the, the chest plate. Um, things weren't really. I didn't quite know what was going on until uh, my wrist got hit. Because um, I was going from looking down the barrel uh, of my rifle, right? Uh, both, both eyes open, you know, sc scanning the area and, and, and engaging as necessary. And, and, you know, you've got your rifle up. My, my left hand is, is holding the barrel. Then my left wrist takes, takes around and then half of my wrist is, is, is blown, blown out. And my hand folds over and my rifle drops. And I'm staring at a, a, 
basically a stump of an arm with a hand dangling from it. And it was at that point I realized I'm in, I'm in trouble. I'm in, I'm in trouble. Uh, you know, there's, there's just lots and lots of, uh, you know, visions and, and things that, that were, were running through my head and, and uh, um, you know, I could go on and on about that, but uh, just know, I, th you know, I was thinking about the wife and thinking about the two, my two boys uh, back home. We had, we had two boys at, at the time, two young boys and, you know, one was almost three and one was almost one, just a few months old. And, uh, you know, thinking these are my, these are my dying thoughts, you know, and something kicked in and uh, I don't know if it was, if it was rage or anger or, or whatever, but, uh, and, and I don't, I don't know if we can edit this out, but this is going to go a little bit rated R, but I, I can vividly remember saying, fuck this, fuck this. I, I'm not dying in this fucking country and I'm not, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm getting out of here and I'm going to, I'm looking for a medic, right? Mm -hmm. So I stumble out of that doorway and, uh, you know, lots of things are happening. You know, lots of things are happening. You know, other guys are throwing grenades. Uh, the team's kind of backing out. We're, we're disengaging a bit from that building because there, were, there was so much, so many rounds, so much activity coming out of that particular structure where I got shot at in the doorway. And I stumble out of that, uh, out of that doorway, my hands dangling. Um, and I, I basically fall to my knee. I look around, I, I get up and I immediately see the medic on my team. And this is Mark. And this is, uh, so there's two medics. Uh, okay. so there's Mark and there's Matt. Okay. Uh, there's a junior medic and a senior medic. Uh, Mark is the senior medic. Uh, Matt was the junior medic. I run into Matt first. Okay. This is where the chain of events of crazy miracles start happening. Okay. Um, so I see my hand, I see my hands dangling. I can see the blood and everything coming out of it. So, so I, so I'm holding, I'm holding my wrist just as tight as I can hold my wrist uh, uh, to, to, to slow the bleeding down. So I lose the ability to kind of control my weapons and things like that. And I'm, and I'm you know, looking for cover and, and, and running behind dudes. And, uh, and I see Matt and I'm like, Matt, Matt, I'm hit, I'm hit. And I'm holding my dangling hand in front of him. And uh, so right away he, he goes to work. He gets a tourniquet on my arm. Um, I, I, I fall down at that point and they drag, and he drags me around to the, to the, to a side of a building that was, that was the safest, at the time that we had. And as soon as he drug me around to that, to the side of that building and he starts doing some, some assessments on, on, on the, uh, on the injuries, Mark shows up. Okay. And he's the, he's the second two of two medics on the team. So I'm like, Oh my God, if there's, if there's any position to be in, uh, in, in when you're in that dire need it's to have two special forces medics hovering over you. Um, so as crazy as things were, I was confident that these guys were going to take care of me. And I knew I just had to be calm and let these guys do their job. Uh, so Matt continued to work on the wrist and tourniquet that and stop the bleeding. Uh, they, they got everything off of me, the, uh, you know, all of my kit and they're, and they're assessing. And it's when they're doing the body scan, they see, they see the main problem. The main problem was I was hit 
in the waist, I took around just below my body armor in, in my left, left waistline, um, right at the left, kind of left belt area. That round punched through my waist. It bounced around inside my abdominal cavity and then punched out my right thigh, like my right butt cheek. So the damage that it did internally, it, it was completely wrecked. So I was bleeding, I was bleeding out from the inside and, and, and the outside. And these guys found the entry wound, they found the exit wound, and they just start stuffing, stuffing those wounds with, with gauze to try to get as much pressure built up in my abdominal cavity as possible. Um, so what's happening is these guys are working on me, which is great. Um, but everything's still happening, right? The mission's still going on and the village is still exploding all around us. And what the team was able to do with battlefield leadership management and, and getting air cover for us and getting a medevac spooled up and all this different air support and ground support and stuff like that, everybody did exactly what they needed to do to not only get me out of there, uh, but to accomplish the mission, you know? I mean, we, we got our dude and a couple other dudes and like 50 uh, Taliban and, and Al Qaeda fighters on that particular mission. And, uh, and, and they were able to get the medevac birds to land on the objective and all this other stuff. So uh, it, it was just such a, a dynamic environment. Um, and so many decisions had to be made, so many split second decisions. And uh, it, it's, it's just amazing what happened. Uh, it was amazing that they were able to get me off of, off of the objective, off of the battlefield and through the next levels of, uh, of trauma care. Because there's no way I would have made, made it home if they were to ground convoy me back, a ground evac versus an air medevac. I was, I was losing too much blood. Now there's lots and lots of miracles and lots and lots of, of uh, sidebar stories with this particular mission. You know, what happened during that mission and over the next, just the next couple hours uh, is a movie in and of itself. I mean, it's crazy uh, what happened, what the medevac pilots did, what the guys on the ground did, all, what the medics did. And then moving through the levels of trauma care, um, you know, they, they scooped me up into the, into the medevac bird and, and they moved me to the, to the first trauma base. They did everything that they could do. They had to move me to another trauma base. They did everything that they, that they could do. And, and, uh, and through those levels of care, um, they were able to keep me alive uh, for the next few hours and, and, until I made it to an actual hospital uh, in Bagram, Afghanistan. But again, we, I could talk for an hour or two on, on that event, but just know that uh, it was a crazy work day, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, um, but we, we, did, we, we did exactly what we had to. Uh, they did everything that, that, they, uh, that, they, that they could have possibly done just to save my life on the battlefield that day. And, uh, and I think about it all the time and, uh, the, the best thing that I can do to, to tell these guys thank you is to live my life to a higher personal standard, right? 
the worst thing that I could do is uh, these guys risk their life to save my life. And then I come back home and I'd be a total shitbag. That would be the worst thing that I could do. The best thing that I could do is come home and be a good dad, a good husband, a, a good community member, uh, you know, a, a good citizen and let these guys know that uh, I don't take every day for granted. You know, every day is special and it's because of what they did that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm able to do this. So uh, that was the driving force of my recovery was, uh, was my family, my wife and boys and, and then my teammates that, that saved my life. So after that hospital um, in Afghanistan, you then eventually spent six months at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Yep. Um, yep. And your injuries were the left arm, the shattering the wrist, the left waistline with wounding the five major organs. Yeah. And then I, I think you said too that you had um, sciatic nerve and vascular damage. To the right leg. Yeah. To the right leg. Okay. So what was your what was your rehab like at that at Walter Reed? Oh man, yeah. Again, you know, this, these interviews could could could, could be forever. Um, well, let me say this: that uh, in the beginning, I was completely immobile. Uh, I didn't have any feeling or ability to move my left arm at all. Uh, my right leg was completely paralyzed. Um, I had no core connection, right? I mean, my, my guts were, uh, you know, shot through, but, uh, but what the surgeons and the surgical teams had to do to, to get in there and, and stop the bleeding and, and re repair the, begin to repair uh, the organ damage was, you know, they just, they, they cut my abdominal wall wide open. You know, they, they split my abdominal wall and, and they, op they open it up and so that they could, they could get in there and work. Uh, so I had no core. I, I mean, I, I couldn't even uh, sit up in bed under my own power. Um, so I was completely helpless, completely helpless for the first few weeks, completely dependent on, on others. And, uh, and for a guy like me that uh, has a bit of control issues, you know, I, I, I like to be in control and, you know, I like to be that leader on the battlefield and stuff and, and to be completely helpless was, was, was just horrible, uh, just a horrible experience. And, um, and these would be great questions for my wife because, uh, yeah. you know, God love her. She's take, she, she took such good care of me. Keep, still keeping me alive, right? By my side in the hospital traveling back and forth to, to Washington, D.C. from Ohio while still raising, you know, two toddlers um, and dealing with me and my piss poor attitude and, and uh, you know, on, on the hospital bed because uh, I'm, I'm bitching and moaning about everything uh, because, you know, I just got shot up and I can't, I, I don't have any control. Uh, so her patience during my recovery is, 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 is just admirable. But yeah, so I can rem remember my very first goal. My very first goal was, uh, was getting the left hand moving. And, uh, and the occupational therapist brought in one of those um, little travel tubes of toothpaste, you know, those little tiny tubes of toothpaste. And this was after several weeks of surgery, I, I was able to start beginning uh, therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy. 
And the goal was to, with, with, with my left hand, thumb and forefinger is to simply squeeze toothpaste out of that travel toothpaste tube. And I, and I couldn't do it. I absolutely, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it for weeks because the nerve, I didn't have any nerve, I didn't any control of this left hand. I just minimal, minimal control. So that was the starting point. And, and you know, and, and that was a, a humbling reality check is uh, one, I, I can't even get out of bed under my own power. Two, I can't even squeeze toothpaste out of a travel tube, you know, and it's like, oh my God, I knew it was gonna, going to be a long road, but, um, you know, as the weeks went by and the months went by and, and we did lots of electrical stimulation uh, type stuff to get nerves firing and, uh, and just lots of different occupational and, and physical therapy techniques over the course of, of a couple of years, really, before um, I was able to get back to a, a functional level of, uh, of independence and, and, and a functional level of fitness. But it, it took a long time. Yeah. Well, and I know um, you said too, so, so this event happened Memorial Day of 2009. Yeah. And by October 2010, yeah. You ran a marathon because your your youngest son's first steps motivated you to walk again. Yeah, so that's a pretty cool story too. Yeah. So um so I spent the entire summer and early fall of 2009 in the hospital. And uh and I was kind of released from the hospital at least released from Walter Reed because they were so just packed with wounded warriors they offered me the opportunity to continue my care back home in Ohio. So we moved, I was still in and out of the hospital, but I was, I was doing this kind of regional care here in, uh, in Columbus, Dublin. Um, and, but while I was in the hospital, you know, a, a couple months, a few weeks had, had gone by and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the Walker thing. You know, I'm in a wheelchair for a while, then I'm doing the Walker thing and, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking down the hall with a walker and, and then I release the walker and I take a couple steps and then I'd kind of hold on to the walker. And, and you know, there's kind of baby steps. I mean, literally learning how to walk again. And, uh, and yes, at the time, my youngest son, uh, who, who was born right before I deployed to Afghanistan, I was, I was there for his birth right, right before the deployment. I caught wind and, and heard rumors of him taking his first steps. So, you know, he's standing up and he's kind of doing the side shuffle along the couch and, and now he's taking a couple steps and falling and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, I'm here I am in the hospital. I'm taking a couple steps and falling. And I'm doing this kind of side shuffle. And I'm like, we're, we're learning how to walk at the exact same time. So there was a bit of a kind of a fun, uh, you know, uh, fa family fun joke going on that, you know, who's going to learn to walk, to walk first between me and my, uh, my youngest son at the time, uh, Seth. And, uh, but yeah, that was a motivator to, uh, to, to, to keep me walking and, uh, and, uh, and just progress through the, through therapy. Yeah. And to run a marathon. Woo. And, oh yeah. And then, and then the, so, the, so then in the fall of 09, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm giving myself one year. I'm giving myself one year to, to learn how to, you know, get, get running and jogging and all that kind of stuff. So in the fall of 2009, I made myself a promise. I'm like, I'm going to run a Columbus Marathon. Now, I used I used the word run super lightly, right? I mean, it was more of a walk jog for about five and a half hours. Um, but 
I was well enough. I had recovered enough to where um, I wasn't bound by like colostomy bags and, and all of this other stuff, you know, because I was wearing, you know, these you know, two different ostomy bags and, and uh, just, just, just crazy stuff, appliances hanging off of my body. I got rid of all of that stuff and uh, after a few months and then, yeah, uh, signed up for the Columbus Marathon and just, you know, from, from walking to jogging and jogging to kind of running. And then uh, I kind of did this like jog walk thing uh, in, the, in the fall of 2010. Yeah, and, 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 and finished that marathon, um, which was great. I mean, it was a great accomplishment, um, but there was a bit of a backfall after that. I, I, you know, I, I messed some stuff up because of that run and I had to, I had to get more surgery again in a couple months after that. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, there's pros and cons to pushing the limits too, too much. Um, but for me, it's always been, uh, uh, yeah, just try, just try to, try to, try to push, push through. Mm -hmm. So then at what point did CrossFit enter into this, after this kind of recovery and, and, and what made you, I know you became a coach. Yep. So what made you want to get into coaching? Uh, so, yeah, so I'd always dabbled in CrossFit, uh, you know, some, some degree of functional fitness uh, within, the, uh, within the special operations world. You know, everything from, you know, flipping tires and, uh, you know, rope climbs. And, uh, you know, I, I never did a lot of the, you know, barbell Olympic lift type stuff until I actually started doing, you know, true CrossFit at a CrossFit box. But we always had some sort of, uh, you know, high intensity interval training or, or, or something in that uh, functional fitness world. Uh, so I, I'd always dabbled in it. Uh, a lot of the guys swore by CrossFit. You know, I, I was never really a big believer back in the day. This would have been, you know, 2006 to 2009 timeframe, 2010, even after the injury. Uh, but I had my final big surgery in uh, February of 2011. Uh, they had to go back in, they had to reconstruct the abdominal wall and, uh, and repair kind of the final repair of all of the organs, organ damage, uh, small intestine, large intestine, just kidneys and stuff. So they're in there messing around and then, uh, and then they, put my abdominal wall back together with this new technique. And uh, it's basically they're, they're not only are they, they're, they're sewing the abdominal wall back together, you know, that six pack back together, they're, they're, they're layering additional like muscular tissue on, on that incision site. Um, so in essence, they're giving you additional muscle fiber so that you know, my, my abdominal wall doesn't pull apart, which is what was happening. So they, so they put my abdominal wall back together. It, it started, the, the surgery started to, to start to pull apart. And then I had these, you know, these, these crazy, um, uh, you know, injuries where, where my stomach's just kind of stretching out. Mm -hmm. So they put me back together. They, uh, and, and it's tight, man. Like, I mean, my trunk strength was, I could just tell that I'm, I've got core, I've got something to work with now. And that kind of knuckleheaded uh, uh, guy comes back in and it's like, okay, what can I do now to really push, push the limits of, of, what they, of what they just did? <laughs> so when I was at Walter Reed, after all of this stuff, there was, a, there was a little wounded warrior CrossFit gym inside there. I mean, just the smallest little, you know, postage stamp of a gym. And, uh, 
there was a guy that was running it in there. Uh, you know, he, he was, he lost his leg. He, he lost the leg in Iraq or something. And, uh, he was doing all this functional fitness stuff for, for guys that had lost their legs or their arms or whatever, and, and getting them, you know, putting kettlebells overhead and, and doing, you know, kettlebell deadlifts with only one leg that they only have one leg now, you know, uh, just understanding what is their new normal, but still being functional and still being independent even with these, with these new injuries. And I felt, I, I found that so amazing. Uh, and I was so inspired by these guys. And I'm like, this dude doesn't have an arm. This dude doesn't have a leg and they're still deadlifting or they're still squatting or they're still doing all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I've got to check this out. I've got to take this more seriously. So I really dove, uh, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm a bit obsessive compulsive. So I was completely into the CrossFit thing. So I was, reading up on all the stuff. I was going to all these, all these gyms. And, uh, and that was, be, that was what allowed me to become functionally fit and, uh, and adapting to my new normal with some of my range of motion issues and, and limitations with nerve injuries and stuff. And, uh, and like I was getting stronger and, and I could tell it, it was working. And, uh, and as the months progressed, so I'm, I'm, I'm healing, but I'm actually becoming like more functionally fit than I was even before the injury. And I was really sold on this, this whole, you know, the, the tenets and the foundation of CrossFit um, to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to start doing competitions and all this other stuff. So I did, so I, you know, I did all that. And then, uh, and there was a competition in uh, the DC area and it was specifically for wounded, wounded warriors. It's like the CrossFit games for wounded warriors. And they break you down into different, uh, instead of age groups, they break you down into uh, your limitations, right? So everybody that doesn't have an arm, you know, you're, you're in this group. Everybody doesn't have a leg, you're in this group. And then the relatively able-bodied athletes, which, which I fell into, uh, you know, we, we were in our own category. Uh, but it gave me an opportunity to, it gave me focus, it gave me a mission uh, it gave me something to, uh, which in and of itself is, is healing, right? Uh, you know, it, it gave me the opportunity to, to, to plan and to, uh, and, and to create a goal and, and to go through that planning process of achieving the goal, all of that stuff, all that kind of military planning stuff that I love. And, uh, and it was healing me, you know, and so then I started working out with these veterans, these wounded vets. And that's what got me into the, uh, the coaching side. Uh, there were programs out there that were specifically uh, CrossFit programs specifically for wounded veterans. But for me to teach a wounded veteran CrossFit stuff, like at a CrossFit gym, I had to be L1. I had to get my L1. So I'm like, all right, you know. Uh, so I went through the whole CrossFit thing uh, I, I got my level one uh, creds uh, five, six years ago or something. And, uh, and we were running a, a veterans program for two or, two or three years out of a, out of a gym in Dublin. And uh, a, a, along with two or three other um, gyms in the DC area and in North Carolina, and a lot of these gyms are around military bases, but we would kind of travel from gym to gym and, and, uh, and get these wounded warriors um, working out and doing things that they didn't think that they could do. And, uh, and it was just absolutely the coolest thing. And, 
And it was a big part of my own personal journey, personal healing, and you know what I learned through all of that, and 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 through kind of falling in love with with CrossFit, and uh, and and I've got a love hate relationship with CrossFit. So don't so don't get me wrong, right? You know, I, I'll love it for a few months, and then, and then I'll hate it for a few weeks, and then I'll kind of get, go on this roller coaster ride. And it's just because I'm getting older, and and I can't recover as fast. But um, but yeah, that journey to uh, CrossFit coaching was was strictly so that I could help wounded veterans become functionally fit, independent, and increase their own quality of life. And I love that you talked to me about um, changing the narrative of instead of, you know, with working with these, um, these wounded um, warriors, but changing the narrative to, from post-traumatic stress disorder to post-traumatic growth. So, um, and, and as you were, you know, you've told me too that that can also just be applied to, to anybody and, and their mindset. So just taking that kind of growth mindset. Is there anything else that you want to add about, about that part? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, everybody will face some degree of trauma in, in their life, uh, either financially, emotionally, uh, you know, the, 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 the death or struggle of a loved one, uh, your own personal health issues with, you know, uh, cancer survivor, you know, uh, you know, major vehicle wreck incident, something like that. You know, somebody's going to face some level of trauma and it's going to change your life and you're going to have to get through it. Um, you don't have to get shot up on a battlefield on the other side of, of the world uh, to have PTSD. Um, but don't fall into that trap of, I have post-traumatic stress dis disorder and woe is me. And, you know, you know, you still need to understand, uh, you know, what is the new normal? You know, how, how do I get through it? Uh, but try to identify, you know, that trauma and, and, gr and grow from it and try to become a better person uh, from that experience, not only for yourself, but to, but to help the next person that's going through that exact same struggle. Um, and understanding what post-traumatic growth is, I, I think is a narrative that we need to change with society as a whole. You know, if, if, uh, if you were to, 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 to not know a lot about me, but you knew that I was injured in combat, you might automatically place me into this, oh, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a veteran that's got PTSD. You know, let's, let's kind of tiptoe around him and let's not talk about this. You know, let, let's not light fireworks around him, stuff like that. You know, I just absolutely, hate that stuff, you know, um, you know, I, I would, I would rather, uh, someone look at me as a survivor, uh, that is now thriving and I'm thriving because I'm, I'm through the stress disorder and, and I'm into the, the post-traumatic growth. Uh, so again, it's another thing that, that I can talk hours and hours and hours about, but it's not, you know, it's not specific to uh, the veteran population. You know, everybody goes through some level of trauma. Um, and, and, and I don't take any degree of injury or any degree of trauma lightly. And, uh, you know, I've talked, to, uh, I've talked to different coaches and I've talked to different kind of, kind of um, you know, knuckleheaded veterans and uh, say, ah, you know, this, you know, this guy, this gal broke their finger and, uh, you know, it's absolutely traumatic to them. I don't know what their problem is kind of deal. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what if that person, you know, you don't know anything about this person, first of all, 
What if this person is a classical pianist that is getting ready to, you know, play in the uh, in the event of her, his or her lifetime, and they broke their finger? Now they can't play. You know, I mean, it would absolutely uh, destroy that person. And to think that you know a broken finger is uh, is nothing to, to cry about, it's just also relative. Uh, and I think that uh, those that have been through trauma and that have gotten through it and have grown from it. We're now charged, at least this is how I feel. I'm now charged with the responsibility of, of understanding and helping others through their trauma. You know, hey, this is what I had to do to get, to get through my own trauma. You know, let's figure out what you need to do to get through yours. You know, I had to rely on family. I had to rely on my teammates. You know, I had to rely on... Uh, finding some type of a mission uh, that I can focus on so that I can go through that planning process of achieving goals and making tangible steps and, and moving forward. It's the, you know, you could apply that template to any type of a traumatic survivor. You just need to figure out what the techniques are, you know, with, within, that, within that template for yourself. And that, that's the growth piece that I think uh, we're, we're trying to change the narrative on. I love that perspective. I, it's funny that you mentioned the part about sort of comparing traumas because I was going to ask you the question. I think there's sort of two types of people that come out of something like what you've experienced and, and you illustrated it for us. There's the person that, you know, takes someone else's problem and sort of makes it really small compared to theirs and sort of gets bitter about it or says like, you have no idea, you know, look what happened to me. And yep. then there's that other side of the coin, which you've illustrated is sort of the, the path that you take. It's like, you have no idea, you know, what the perspective is of that other person and you just have to help them get through it no matter what. So that's a, that's a great positive take on it. I love it. Yeah, at the end of the day, we're all humans, uh, you know, struggling to survive on this planet for, you know, 90 or hundred years. And you know, we should be helping each other out uh, is, is, is kind of where I'm at with all of that. And, and, uh, and it's called, I call it the QOL factor, QOL, and it's the quality of life. You know, we should all be trying to increase our QOL factor. And a lot of times we can increase our own quality of life by increasing somebody else's quality of life. And, uh, you know, um, Marcus does a great, Marcus is a great coach. And, and uh, I, I see a lot of, um, you know, the positive energy and the motivation that Marcus brings uh, to the gym and, uh, and just reminding everybody of those little things. And, 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 and that's what we need to do to one another is, uh, is, is lift each other up, but also remind each other you know, what, what we've done to get through it or, or, or where we were, you know, just a few weeks ago to where we are now. And just kind of remind each other that, uh, hey, you might not be where you think you should be, but man, look, you know, look at the trail you've blazed over the last few weeks or few months. And, uh, if, if we can all do that for one another, uh, man, this, uh, you know, things are going to be so much more successful. That's awesome. And we could talk for hours about I mean, all of your stories, but I appreciate you coming on here. I, first of all, I thank you for your service. And I thank you for, for coming on here and allowing us to share your story with people. So I, really I, I do, I do have one quick question. Okay. Um, and that is Sean, I know that, um, we do Memorial Day Murph at Shred every year. Mm -hmm. And on that day, you do something very special. And at the conclusion of this interview, we're gonna splice in a speech you gave 
uh, on Memorial Day for that MRF. Can you just explain what you do uh, during MRF that is, that is very different than a lot of people? Oh boy, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of kind of weird things, but uh, you know, I'm- Do you mean what he's wearing? I don't know if yeah. there's anything specific that you're talking about, but the, 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 chest, the plate. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, so yeah, so the external visual stuff we'll talk about. I, I can also talk to you about kind of what I internalized to motivate me through that. But uh, but yeah, externally, uh, I, I wear the vest uh, and the body armor uh, that I wore the day that I was shot. Uh, so it is the vest. Uh, it's it has the bullet holes in it. Uh, Inside the vest is the plate, the body armor that, that goes inside that. And uh, uh, the army in all of their glory allowed me to keep that uh, as, as a retirement gift. And uh, so really I wear that vest definitely during MRF. Um, I have a lot of respect for that particular uh, hero wad and, uh, and for uh, you know, Lieutenant Murphy, Mike Murphy and, and, and just that, that, that whole story um, but, uh, yeah, that is the, that's the actual, but if you see me wearing a vest and running around with a vest, not only for Murph, but for any type of a, uh, really any hero wad, I'm going to throw that vest on, uh, in, in honor of that person that paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we can have what we have today. Um, it's the least that I can do. And, uh, and then internally, you know, that mental process, because some of these hero wads aren't meant to be, hey man, I'm gonna hurry up and knock this out and get the best score I can. You know, it's not a Fran or anything like that. You know, hero wads to me is a journey of that person's dying minutes and the pain that they endured uh, or the pain that their teammates endured to get them from one point to another, and you know, and and uh, and, and ultimately they, they 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 did not make it. I want to, I want to feel that pain, and uh, and as a reminder that I am alive, and uh, and in honor of those hero heroes. So I usually wear my vest for for every hero one or, or any, any type of a, a, a special workout, I'll, I'll throw that vest on. It's just another reminder to me that, that what I went through was real and that journey was, was painful, but uh, uh, was worth it. And that I would do it all over again. Uh, if, if we can do stuff like this with one another uh, at a gym, uh, honoring and, uh, and, and being free, uh, Every, everyone would do it all again. I, I knew they would. I'm That's fortunate awesome. enough to get to do those workouts, right? We get to do them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we get to do it together. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, with the Murph, you know, CrossFit is tough, man. You know, you know, you got to give CrossFit a, a level of respect because it is tough and it, and it should be And uh, and the relationships that you find amongst patrons at a CrossFit gym, are, are much deeper than anywhere else because we are bleeding and we are sweating and we are crying and we are struggling together. And it's, uh, it's a dynamic that you don't see a lot in the, in the, in the outside world. Um, anytime you share a struggle together and get through it together, it's, uh, 
it, 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 uh, it strengthens the bond and it, and it, it kind of changes that dynamic. And that's, that's the beauty uh, of, of CrossFit uh, for sure. Amazing. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank, yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, anytime you want to do an extended edition or just sit, sit around and, yeah. uh, and, and, and talk. I'd love to have your wife on and hear her perspective too. I think that would be cool. Uh, one, one thing that I want to make sure that I do before we wrap this all up is just, just ensure that uh, uh, she is getting the credit that she deserves. And uh, for every wounded warrior, for every veteran, for every combat veteran, uh, that gets a handshake and gets a thank you for your service kind of thing, which is great. Uh, don't forget to thank the spouse and, and don't forget to honor the significant other, uh, the caregiver, the spouse, uh, because we could not do any of this without their support and, and honestly, their, their grit. Uh, you know, I, I relied on Sarah uh, to put a boot in my ass on many occasions when I was just being a baby, you know, uh, you know just kind of whining and crying about stuff and, um, and, uh, and, and, her, and her motivation and, and in my family's motivation. Uh, yeah, so don't, don't forget to uh, honor and thank uh, the spouse uh, or the significant other of, of that veteran for their service. Yep. And you get to do that on Sunday. It's Valentine's Day, don't forget. Oh yeah, 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 very good. Yeah. Well, Sean, I, I do this podcast because I love to talk uh, and you, your story has me speechless. Uh, and that is very rare for me. Uh, thank you for your service. Thanks, Sarah, for, for doing what she does. Um, and thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you. No, thank you for having me and, uh, and, and, and spreading the word of what it means to serve and sacrifice and, uh, and grow from trauma. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. Most definitely. All right. All thanks right. again, Sean. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, RX Smart Gear. As a listener of the show, you can get 15% off everything except special editions and new releases when you use the code Clydesdale15 at checkout. That's Clydesdale15, all caps, at rxsmartgear.com. Thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast. Remember, you can find us now on YouTube as well as all major podcast platforms. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you use and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.